Again, welcome to, to this service to our guests, uh, to our internet audience and to New Life Fellowship. Today we're going to be looking at part two of Jesus values empowering and releasing his disciples, part two. And this is based on the Great Commission. And this is part of a sermon series where we are going through our core values as a church. We have seven core values and, uh, and, and we are now in Jesus values, mobilizing, empowering, and releasing his disciples back in the Great Commission uh, this week. So we're going to pick it up. We'll, we're going to reread the Great Commission from the Word. This is found in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And these are Jesus's final and closing instructions to his 11 disciples. Uh, you remember Judas was no longer among the disciples at this point in the story. I think it's very important that we notice as we go into our reading today that this is uh, the 11 disciples meeting with Jesus. There are not other people present, just the 11 disciples. And it says something very interesting. Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. These were the 11 people that had followed Jesus around for three years. And when they came into the presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus, some of those 11 people worshiped and some of those people doubted. I think that's really important to note that uh, there's a real human element to faith that you and I experience where uh, we worship and sometimes our worship is mixed with doubt. And I'm here to tell you today, I think that is okay. I think that is part of the human experience. For any thinking, feeling disciple of Christ, we, we both worship and sometimes we doubt, and that's okay. So here we have it. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Some of the 11 worshiped, but some of those 11 disciples doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth, the whole cosmos. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But that verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. How many? Maybe, maybe three worshiped and eight doubted. Maybe five worshiped and Six doubted. Check my math here. We don't know how many, but some doubted. Worship, as, as, uh, as defined by the Greek word used in, in this passage in Matthew 28, 17, it implies a confident movement forward. Here's some of the things that that word for worship in Greek means. It means to, to take your body and prostrate yourself, to fall down on your knees in homage to do reverence to. I think that's a really interesting word. We talk about having reverence, but this word for worship is talking about doing reverence. It's an action word. It, it is a movement word. And it says, and one of the ways we define this is a throwing of oneself down before another. You know, this is a movement. So some of these disciples, they worship. They, they had a confident move forward. And that's an expression of faith and assurance that... Uh, what you're hopeful for and, and a certainty about what you do not see, which is the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, an expression of assurance of what you're hopeful for and certainty of what you do not fully see. And some of those disciples 
they threw themselves down. There, there's a great um, picture of, of the movement of worship in Matthew 14, 22 to 29, which is when Jesus walked on water. Uh, so this is right after the scene where Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're talking about 10,000 plus people Jesus had just miraculously fed. And right after that feeding, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Stormy night. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And here's this movement of worship. Listen to, to, to what Peter does in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. That's a picture of this word for worship that we see in the Great Commission, a confident movement forward without even having all the information. That's worship, that's faith, being sure of what you hope for in God and certain of what you do not see. That is the movement of worship. Now, this, 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 uh, this passage in uh, the Great Commission, where it says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Doubt is defined as um, as wavering so doubt really starts out the same way worship does it's also a confident movement forward but then it's followed by an arresting hesitation that just kind of stops the person's heart so doubt it starts as a confident movement forward like worship but it's followed instantly by this arresting fear and panic about the unknown and a, and a hesitation have you ever been walking down a flight of stairs late at night and you think that you have one more step to go, but then you step off, uh, off the step onto the landing and you almost crash into your own body. It's actually very jarring. Um, your body kind of collapses into itself. And you're like, oh gosh, and you're, you're shaking. That, that's what doubt is like. It's a confident movement forward. We have one more step to go. And then it's, the step's not there. And then you, all of a sudden you realize you're out. You're out on the water in, in the rest of this um, passage of Peter walking on the water. Um, after, after Peter gets down out of the boat in verse 29 and walks on the water and came, comes towards Jesus, that's worship, all of a sudden doubt comes in. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out to the Lord, save me, save me. So here we have this picture that we see in the Great Commission. Um, some of them worship, but some of them doubted. They all confidently moved forward, but some of them hesitated. Some of them were arrested in fear and doubt. So Peter made a confident move forward without all the information in the story. But then he just became arrested in fear and began to doubt. And then he began to sink beneath the waves. And Jesus, of course, reached out and saved him the moment that he called for Jesus to do that. So much like, much like joy and sorrow are often found together in life, Worship and doubt 
are often found together in our lives as well. Worship and doubt are sometimes in the very same sentence, like in Matthew 28, 17. Some of them worship, some of them doubt it. Uh, they are in the same sentence. And worship and doubt are often found together in our lives. And that's okay. I think the message of the Bible and how God has worked in history is that is okay. It's okay to have worship mixed with doubt. In fact, I think it's very human, us being the creatures, God being the creator. I think for creatures, it's, it's, it means that you're human to live in this tension of worship and doubt. It means that you're both breathing, engaging, and thinking. Breathing, you're alive. You're engaging with God seriously. That's a, that's, that's a faith thing. And then you're also thinking and processing God as you go. So, so worship and doubt go together. Worship and doubt are easy to find in, a to, in any time in our lives, but especially when something happens like what's happening in our world today with COVID-19. We, we, we have this faith. We have this worshipful spirit. We also have this, this doubt, like two forces pushing and pulling within us as we come before God. What I want to speak to you today, New Life Fellowship and internet audience, is that God is okay with all of us. All of us. God is okay with us and our doubts. God is okay when we confidently move forward in worship. God is also okay when we confidently move forward, but then we are suddenly arrested in fear and cry out to him. He reaches out and grabs our hand. It's okay to experience doubt as you worship. And if you don't think that's okay, all you have to do is do a cursory look through the Bible, and we're going to do that this morning. We must not let the enemy of our soul condemn us for experiencing doubt, in the, even in the midst of our worship. If you make a confident move forward to worship God and then you doubt, you must not let the enemy of your soul condemn you and say, well, you're not really worshiping. You're not really a good Christian. A real Christian wouldn't have this, these kinds of doubts about God and his ways and his character. The enemy is going to say that to you as you try to worship the Lord, especially during a fearful time in our culture. You have to reject that. That's a lie. In Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And none of the accusations of the enemy about our doubts or our faith or lack thereof uh, should land with us because God is okay with us being human and experiencing this kind of thing. Jesus loved and worked with a lot of doubters who were also great worshipers. The greatest worshipers in the scriptures were also some of the greatest doubters in history. Jesus was okay with it. God was okay with it. And he helped everyone, no matter how seemingly pathetic or hopeless they seem to look on the outside, if we just reach out to him. I love the prayer uh, where the, 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 sol the soldier says to Jesus, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. I love that prayer. I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. I'm moving forward in worship. But I become arrested with doubt. Help me with my unbelief. I love that prayer. I was talking with one of our pastoral elders, uh, Greg uh, Veach, and after reading my notes to this sermon, he just remarked that he found it so interesting, along, along with myself, that though we clearly, clearly see these examples in Scripture of major instances of doubt, like with, with Peter, Thomas, even Moses, we still just can't seem to accept that God is okay with and forgives, works with our doubting. We beat ourselves up over, over not sharing God's word in a moment when we really thought we were supposed to and had every intention to, or we had the idea to do this in our mind, but then we, we kept silent, doubting if it was socially acceptable to do so. And yet, 
Thomas and Peter, these people that, um, that had these doubts, they lived with Jesus for three years. They witnessed his miracles. They saw and heard the living God and still had times of doubt. And somehow, we just we, we, we look beyond that and we place these, these biblical characters on this pedestal of faith that's just far too high. We hold, we strangely, it's almost like we hold ourselves up to an artificial, even unbiblical standard when it comes to our faith and our worship. We think if we were really believed in God, we would do better than everyone in the Bible who doubted and struggled with God. But that's not the case. That's not the case. We read the Bible with fresh eyes. We can see these were men and women just like us. I love it when, when um, I think it was in Hebrews that it says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed for rain and the rain came, right? It's saying, it's reinforcing this idea. You know, we're all, all of us humans, we're worshipers of the creator, we, but we are the creation. We are in process and we are going to experience in the movement of worship, we're also going to experience times of, of arresting doubt. And those are the times we reach out to Jesus and he helps us, but he, he takes all of us. He takes all of us, our worship and our doubts into his hands. That's also what Christian community is for. When, when, when individuals or couples or, fa or families are struggling, it is to, to, to reach out to other people in the body of Christ um, who, who have also uh, experienced doubt in, in the midst of their worship and to be encouraged as long as we have time on this earth to keep on keeping on because this is an experience we all share. It shouldn't be something we feel ashamed of at all. So here's some, some scriptural examples of people that were great worshipers, but they were also really great doubters as well. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the one who confidently worshiped God and proclaimed that Jesus was the Lord and the Messiah. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, when he was put into, into prison for speaking out against some, some wickedness by the, by the ruler, um, he was put into prison. And when a messenger came to John the Baptist in the, in the prison, John the Baptist, it says, doubted that Jesus was the Messiah in jail. Is he the one? Is he the one? That was the burning question on John's lips. The same John who had proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. This is a hero of our faith. And he experienced doubt in the midst of the movement of his worship. The apostle P Peter, this is really, really classic. Peter told Jesus he would follow him anywhere he went and do anything Jesus said, and the quote is, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. It's from Matthew 26, 35. Also the apostle Peter, he denied even knowing Jesus three times in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion. Worship, a movement of worship, confident, without even having all the information, throwing yourself forward, but then becoming arrested with doubt. You know, that's what happened to Peter as well. Then there's the most famous doubter in the Bible who's, who's called Doubting Thomas, which I think is so unfortunate. It's kind of a bummer to have a nickname made out of this one seemingly negative characteristic. Um, but, he, but Thomas was an excellent worshiper of God, of Jesus. Um, he cried out, my Lord and my God, to Jesus and worshiped him. But he, he wanted to make sure it was really Jesus. And he said, I won't believe until I put my fingers into the wounds in his hand into his side, and then I will know that it really is Jesus. And when he saw it was Jesus, he worshiped my Lord and my God. So he started with arresting fear and, and, and maybe even protecting himself from the disappointment of what might not be true. And he ended in deep faith, a throwing down 
uh, before Jesus, prostrating himself, saying, my Lord and my God. You know, is it really fair that we call him Doubting Thomas? Maybe he's just tactile Thomas, needed to touch in order to believe and see truth. Just, just, a, just a thought. Old Testament heroes like Elijah, who Jerome Hebert preached about on September 22nd in 1 Kings 18 and 19. You read the story of Elijah and, his, and his, uh, the way he interacted with, with um, Ahab and Jezebel, and then the doubts he experienced. And if you listen to Jerome's sermon, I really encourage you to go on our website, September 22nd, hear Jerome Hebert share about the, this story of, of a man of great worship who was also a man with great doubts. Then there's, there's Gideon, there's Moses, Jonah, David, Jeremiah, Abraham, and Sarah. That's my favorite. I love when, uh, when uh, the messenger of the Lord told Sarah that she would be with child after she was well past childbearing age and there was no hope for them to have a child. The messenger of God said, you will have a child. And Sarah laughed at that messenger. And then when the messenger said to her, um, Did you, were you, the messenger said to her, you laughed. And she said, no, I didn't. And then the messenger says, um, yes, you did. <laughs> Which is a very funny little story in Genesis 18. Um, and finally, you know, Jesus, to a different extent, he wrestled with God's call on his life in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point that he, he was almost in shock and, and sweating what appeared to be blood from, from the stress of wanting to throw himself down and worship to his God in submission, but feeling that arresting sense um, of, of dread of what was to come. Of course, that's a little bit of a different category because Jesus was going to, to go through with the Father's plan. But we see here, Jesus was fully God and fully man, fully human, fully God, fully man. And he he had that arresting feeling as well in the garden. So you get the idea. We have a hall of fame of people that moved in great worship, but also moved in great worship, followed by an arresting doubt. And then once again, we see it in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 17, the familiar pattern from throughout the Bible and in our own lives, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him but some doubt it. So worship and doubt are just normal experiences for saints, especially when they begin to suffer, as we are, as a society and a world uh, citizens, are beginning to suffer during this pandemic. Um, worship and doubt are going to be pushing and pulling inside every one of us as these days creep forward. It's going to happen, and it's okay. C.S. Lewis, who's one of the great spiritual giants of our, of our day, wrote 50 plus books. He's up there in, in influence with the greats of the faith. And here's a man who wrote a whole book about, uh, called The Problem of Pain, dealing with how do we deal with, with the pain that we experience in life? It's a theological problem that theologians call theodicy. Um, how can, the, if God is good, then why is there all this pain in the world? So he writes this book, and then when his, his own wife was stricken with cancer and he had to suffer watching her waste away and eventually die, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed, uh, where he struggles and wrestles with doubt. And this very intelligent, um, articulate uh, worshiper of God, you know, one, one, of, one of the greats in my book of people who walked in faith. C.S. Lewis, you know, he spent time working on this problem of worship and doubt.
And if you read that book, A Grief Observed, it's very, um, it's, it's very visceral. You can really see um, what God was doing in him and how he really uh, was, was struggling with who God was and why God would let these things happen. It's okay. C.S. Lewis, he died a Christian. He was able to get through it and, uh, because God lifted him up. So doubt, doubt and worship, they're a strange couple. They often live in the same house together, but it's okay. God is okay um, with us as long as we are uh, going in the right direction and we are going in the, in the way of God's spirit. Um, as long as we reach out to God in worship, you know, we should not be ashamed. We should not be discouraged. Um, Jesus always catches those who are falling and cry out to him. That's what he, what he does and those who are faltering. So I would just encourage you with that that um, the important thing is to be moving forward. And I, and I think it's interesting to see in those Greek words for worship and doubt, they're both movements. They're both a throwing, throwing oneself down before the creator. The creation bowing before the creator, laying prostrate at his feet. Um, and, and doubt has the extra piece where as you are, as you're, as you're going to the ground before your creator and worshiping him, you're arrested with, with a fear and a doubt. And those are the times we can cry out to God. And that worship, that worship with doubt in it is, is just as acceptable to God as worship is wholehearted and, and right all the way to the floor. Um, if, we, if we will come to God, we must bring all of us, our good, our bad. Every, the saints of old have done it. Um, people that have gotten through and succeeded in their life with God have, have brought all of themselves before God and let God sort it all out. We don't, I love how my mentor, Bo Sanders, he said, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous thought to take a shower before you take a bath, you know, just put the whole thing in, go under and let God deal with our, our worship and mix with our doubts. He will do it. So I encourage you, um, wherever you are, you know, it says in John four twenty three, we worship Jesus, not in, not in a place, but in spirit and in truth. And in the Great Commission, that as we go, as we go about our lives during this um, COVID-19 social distancing time, as we go about our business and do the things we're doing, um, we are to make disciples, um, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded and teaching them to identify with Jesus. You know, we are, we are in the spirit. We are in the truth. Worship, doubt, all mixed together. Um, before him. I encourage you, connect, connect with him. Um, come into his presence. Move forward, no matter how you are feeling. So locked up, snug inside our houses during this time, we have permission to experience both great faith and worship in times of wavering and doubt. They often go together. And Jesus helps anyone who calls out to him and shores up their faith. And the location is in the spirit. It doesn't have to be here at New Life. It doesn't have to be in a special temple. In the spirit is as good is, is the place where we worship in Christ, like we talked about last week. So as we worship him together in Christ, in the spirit, according to the truth, as revealed by the scriptures, as revealed by God's world, we come into alignment with God and he he receives all of us as we fall before him 
an act of worship and a movement of worship. So we're going to close, close tonight, uh, for this, this morning rather, uh, with, with a song. This is a reworking of an old song. It's been a real blessing. Before we go into it, I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people during this time where we are apart from one another. We are bound together in heart. And I pray that you would encourage us. Encourage each of us to come into your presence. Whether we are ready to throw ourselves down in, in, in unrestrained worship. Or whether we are headed that direction but then are arrested with doubts and fears. I pray that all would come before you knowing that it's all acceptable to you. It's all expected by you. And you are bigger than any of the questions and doubts we may have. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you encourage your people to draw near to you during this time, to taste and see that you are good during this time, Jesus. And that the church would taste and see that you are good through the love of its members for one another during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go and be the church. God bless. Mm -hmm.